cut. It was me pretending to be Mario. Outrageous. Oh, I thought you were pretending to be me. Hello. Hello. How's it going? Okay, we played in the pool. That was fun. We did, yeah. Yeah, we got a little floaty basketball net. Yeah. It was the air quality was good, so I was like, let's do this. Yep. It was super fun. You switched five in a row. <laughs> it floats around, so it's not on the side. It's just yeah. like basically floating on like a cut together pool noodle. Yeah. Uh, that's never going to happen again. <laughs> what? The sw- five switches? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, only six, seven, eight. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that was fun. Now we got some tea. The sun is setting. Oh, yeah, it's nighttime. It's cooler than it has been in a little while. Mm-hmm. What else is new? It's Sunday. Uh, it's August. It's August. Summer is over, basically. Summer is basically over. How long do you have? Uh, Three two weeks. weeks. Two weeks. Mm-hmm. Two <sighs> weeks of freedom. It's still like a fourth of your summer, so it, you know, let's enjoy it. <laughs> Let's not let's not give up the last fourth just because it's the last fourth. <laughs> Anything else? No, I have nothing. I'm just real boring over here. All righty. Lines ready. ready. Turn to page 96, Talons and Tea Leaves. Today's lesson is called... Oh my gosh, we're having tea. I didn't even think about that. Oh! I, I just grabbed tea just because it's nighttime. But no, oh my gosh, we got to read our tea leaves after this. <laughs> that's a can-do, yes. Oh, that's still really hot. going to let that sit for a minute. Today's lesson is called Vague Fortunes. A synopsis. The chapter begins with Harry ready for his new year at Hogwarts. He gets his new schedule and sets off on his first day with Ron and Hermione. First up, divination with Professor Trelawney. After Sir Cadigan helps them helps lead them to the classroom, they begin learning about reading tea leaves to see a person's future. Eventually, Trelawney herself reads Harry's tea leaves and sees him sees in them the Grim, a wizarding omen for death. Harry is very upset by this, as are the other third years, before Professor McGee dispels the notion that Harry is doomed to die because Professor Trelawney proclaims so. Later, our trio heads down to Hagrid's first class as Care of Magical Creatures professor. He leads them in a lesson on hippogriffs, beginning with Harry meeting Buckbeak, who allows Harry to fly on his back. Eventually, Malfoy insults Buckbeak, who gashes his arm. This leads to a commotion and eventually to Hagrid being drunk, believing he will lose his job. Hermione encourages Hagrid to sober up before Hagrid realizes they are out with Sirius Black on the loose and yells at Harry to get back to the school. These people, man. <laughs> Every these time I read a chapter, people. I'm like, these people. <laughs> these people. Um, okay, so I'm just going in the order of my notes. I was looking at the people mostly in this chapter. These people? No, just, yes, these people. I see. Um, so Pansy Parkinson, we, we met Pansy, at, I believe, in the first book i I can't remember remember, but i we've i I believe we've seen her before um the parkinson family is part of the sacred 28 Mm. and from an interview jk rowling has uh, revealed that she loathes pansy as a character absolutely well because the question specifically was about draco 
And the question was, does Draco end up marrying Pansy? And she was just like, no, God, no. And she's like, sorry, I don't like Draco, but I dislike Pansy even more. And she called her the anti-Hermione. And just she's just a bully. She's the bully. Mm. And she's like, she's, I, I guess, like, I, I forgot about the... She like really, really is obsessed with Malfoy. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it's it's kind of I don't know. I guess I forgot about her for a while, but uh, yeah, J.K. Rowling does not like her at all. As okay, a character. good to know. <laughs> good to know. Uh, we also met someone named Sir Cadigan. Mm-hmm. Oh man. Okay, so there is writing. Oh my god. There is writing on the Wizarding World website about some fanfic. Him. <laughs> no, no, no. By J.K. Rowling. All right. What do we got? <laughs> okay, so it's believed in Wizarding circles that Sir Cadigan was one of the famous knights at the Round Table. Oh. And that it's rumored that he achieved this position because he was friends with Merlin. Hmm. And uh, apparently he has been excised from all muggle volumes of King Arthur's Because he story. himself is a wizard? Uh, what? Who? Sir Cadigan? Sir Ca- oh, yes. Sir Cadigan okay. is a wizard. Okay. Um, so part of the historical context is that uh, I, the way that it was framed is that it wasn't unusual for wizards to live among muggles right. before the International Statute of Secrecy. Right. So uh, that's what he did. He just like lived in this village, and he yeah. So he was a wizard, and uh, yeah. Apparently, he was. He's not in the Muggle version of these stories. <laughs> um, his famous, his most famous encounter was with the Wyvern of Y, mm. uh, a dragonish creature that was terrorizing the West Country. So in first encounter, the beast ate Sir Cadigan's steed, bit his wand in half, and melted his sword and visor. Oh, dear. Unable to see through the steam rising from his melting helmet, Sir Cadigan barely escaped with his life. However, rather than running away, he staggered into a nearby meadow, grabbed a small fat pony grazing there, leapt upon it, and galloped back towards the wyvern with nothing but his broken wand. Eventually, he managed to take it down. Um, oh, dear. And apparently, elderly witches and wizards have a phrase, a saying, I'll take Cadigan's pony. And that means I'll salvage the best that I can <laughs> <laughs> from a tricky situation. Nice. So that's part of the broader wizarding world. Context. Do we have like a muggle phrase for it? I have no idea. Of, uh, okay. I don't know. I'm going to think on that one. <laughs> Um, yeah, so he, I couldn't find it on this site, but from a wiki, it said that he was sorted into Gryffindor, and because of the time period, probably was taught by Godric Gryffindor himself. Uh I couldn't find an actual, uh, source for it, but it was on the wiki that that's probably, Mm -hmm. he probably Mm -hmm. was taught by Gryffindor himself, um, and also is known for his hot temper and, uh, his love for a foolhardy challenge and determination to beat the enemy, as we see when they're just like casually, oh, we need to find the North Tower. And he is like, let's go. Yeah, it's a really funny scene. I I found myself laughing out loud a couple times reading this uh-huh. particular chapter. It was a good one. Yeah. That scene was really funny. It it really adds something to the character, to the love. Like we've talked about how the castle itself is a character and is alive. 
And it really adds something to have it be like funny and a little goofy and the whole idea. And then they like find it and then they're like, well, well now what do we do? And then that like, a <laughs> yeah, it's just a weird and f- funny thing to me. Yeah. I've always liked that scene. Mm. I don't know why. I've just always liked it. It's always stuck out to me. It's like every time I know I'm about to get to it, I'm like, oh, nice. <laughs> It's the one where the guy goes through all the portraits. I love that yeah, one. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah, later I, he will come back. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think the whole chapter, it's a long chapter. A it lot is. happens. Because no, I, I think the last one was 20, 20 these 20 something page. We are like actually a good chunk into the book. Yeah, we're chunking six. it out for sure. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, there's so many pages we're in. We're already on. What do we say? You say 96. We started on page 96 already. Right. So we're going through all these pages. Um, I didn't remember that the Grimm in the tea leaves and the Buckbeak introduction were the same chapter. I would have always guessed that those oh, were two separate yeah. chapters because they're such distinct scenes. Yeah, yeah. There's not really, I mean, with the exception of them being the first day, that's what makes them, I guess, in the first in the same chapter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I also looked up Trelawney. Okay. Um, okay. So the first thing that caught my eye was the way that her name was spelled. It's spelled in this book, S-I-B-Y-L-L. Mm-hmm. So if anyone else has the American version of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, check your book and see if that's spelling. If you don't have an American version, let us know what it is because that is not how it's supposed to be spelled. <laughs> And the reason I know that, well, one, because I was like, I asked, have I been spelling Sybil wrong for Trelawney? Like, I always thought it was S-Y-B-I-L. I didn't didn't think that there were Mm -hmm. more than one L. But uh, apparently on Pottermore, J.K. Rowling talked about this, that so there's this whole, she's all about names. And so she talked about Cornish surnames or loving them. And so like, she wanted Trelawney to ha- be something that's kind of like seems to suggest an old name and it kind of goes connected to her story. So like uh, Sybil Trelawney is the great great granddaughter of a seer named Cassandra mm-hmm. Trelawney. And so supposedly like her great great grandmother has this like, you know, she is a seer. It's a very powerful, yes, you know, capability. But that gift has been diluted over generations and so by the time it gets to Trelawney it's not as special or potent or however Mm -hmm. you want to characterize it yes I think we'll learn a lot about her in book five Mm. but yeah go on so the the name Trelawney so she JK Rowling was talking about like coming up with it was funny because she said like I craft like really detailed histories and backstories for a lot of my characters like Dumbledore and McGonagall but she didn't really have a very detailed backstory for Trelawney, and she she thought that it was fitting. It was kind of like, oh, I just imagine her wandering around, you know, drifting through the wizarding world, trying to, like, make money off of her name, like, oh, I'm a Trelawney or whatever, and not being that successful. Yeah. Um, that was That's just, like, the general backstory that she said to it. But apparently, um, J.K. Rowling's American editor wanted her to use the name Sybil, uh, S-I-B-Y-L. Uh, so Sybil's first name 
in this story is a homonym of Sybil, S-I-B-Y-L, which was a female clairvoyant in ancient times. Okay. I don't know what that means exactly, but... Like a seer. Okay. So the editor wanted to spell it in that way, but J.K. Rowling was like, no, I like my version, which is a variant of Sybil, S-Y-B-I-L. And so this Sybil is supposed to be S-Y-B-I-L-L, so if you look on any entries on Pottermore, My Wizarding goodness. World, or any of this, it is spelled S-Y-B-I-L-L. This is a deep in, dive, in, my <laughs> friends. In our book right, that we have in front of us, it's S-I-B-Y. That is a first printing. Maybe they changed it later. I don't know. Hmm. I guess I guess I'll dig more into it to see if other wow. copies have a different name <laughs> or spelling of it. Okay. Um, I also kind of, so I read, I don't know how much you want to talk about Trelawney specifically we get a glimpse based on McGonagall's reaction in Transfiguration which I love that whole exchange McGonagall is trying very very hard to contain herself and she even says like she doesn't speak illy of her colleagues but uh, she's basically like calm down like who's dying this time or this year like this has been done before and um, J.K. Rowling wrote that Trelawney and McGonagall are meant to be polar opposites in the way that they mm-hmm. exist. Mm-hmm. And later on, we'll see sort of like something, a different kind of dynamic. But uh, apparently Trelawney is aware of how the other teachers think of her. And I, I mean, it doesn't seem and it, we got a glimpse of it with McGonagall. It seems that they're probably like, oh. You're you're not as good. You're a fraud or whatever. And so Trelawney actually stays in the tower, and she kind of says that in the, her intro. She's yeah. like, "Oh, hey, you probably haven't seen me." And it's really sad because J.K. Rowling wrote, unsurprisingly, perhaps she has developed an over reliance on alcohol, so she mm. she just sits in her tower, and it's kind of sad. But that's it is quite sad. Yeah, uh, yeah. Poor Trelawney. Yeah, she's a really interesting character because she kind of stumbles onto the scene here in a somewhat similar way for me to Lockhart. I was going to bring it up. I was going to ask you how, because I, well, there's two things. One is like, how do you feel oriented to her compared to your orientation to Lockhart? And the other, to me, that's that was more like, uh, standing out to me in the characters is how Hermione seems to be reacting to Trelawney she got burnt compared once. to Lockhart. She got burnt once. Well, it's true, but it's also slightly different, I believe. I believe yep. the subject itself, she is just straight out dismissive of in general. Yes, yes. I would imagine that Hermione uh, understood exactly what McGonagall was saying about not speaking ill of her, but that divination is you know not a very sophisticated art or finely tuned art uh i think it's a i have a very similar feeling when i first meet her to how i feel about lockhart Mm. she's a grifter it's all a bunch of lies Mm -hmm. that's kind of why i named it vague fortunes because it has Mm -hmm. to do with how you do fortune telling these sorts of strategies of of saying these really vague things, you know? Yeah, I guess a difference for me initially between her and Lockhart is that it doesn't appear that she is... So sure, she might manipulate or uh, do something. So like picking on Neville because he 
clearly seems on edge and like is most likely of this group to break a teacup and be like, oh, hey, whatever. But she's not using it for profit in the sense of like, I'm going to make a bunch of money and a brand of myself. Like she is just teaching at Hogwarts and is, I mean, from the one stance, like it's very similar because it is this sort of, you know, the perceptions and all the narratives, discourses around divination perhaps and you're trying to actively combat it by being like look like this is like take me seriously i can see it from that perspective but at the same time like it's like people who try to make math learning super <laughs> duper fun yeah it's like they're trying bros, to go the opposite direction yeah, of, the, yeah. of the reputation but it's still uh, like i mean if yeah i don't know i feel like i'm more like aligned with now that i'm talking out loud that if she was just honest and was like, hey, she, well, first she, all the teachers, I feel, except for maybe Ben's, is like, oh, my subject is the most whatever, like important, mm. difficult, dangerous, or whatever mm. adjectives that they use. Cause she introduces that and she's like, divination is one of the most difficult, like, magical arts there is, or whatever. Mm-hmm. You don't have the aura, Hermione. Yeah, yeah. And so the stuff that she does is actually very familiar in, in the, like, authoritarian archetype of teachers uh, being like, well, no, you don't, you just don't know. Like, I know best, and, like, you're not, you're just not doing it right sort of thing. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, that comes from a place that's, like, very sad, and like seeking validation, seeking something. Yeah, I can handle her personal story and reframe mm-hmm. what's going on, but I think it's a. It's always troubling to me this idea of trying to give somebody certainty in an uncertain world, mm. and to do it in a vague way is particularly troubling. I think because it's very hard to prove that she's wrong or making it up. Yeah. And so of course this is a story, so we'll be able, we will be able to live it out where we see how she can sort of she starts to defend it, but also she has a cult of personality in some of her students who start to like basically fill it in, right? So humans are incredibly powerful uh inference makers. Mm-hmm. We will fill in dots between pieces of information. And so we will see how her kind of mini prophecies in this lesson some of them start to come true some of them don't but they fall by the wayside and nobody ever really holds her to it so i think it's a uh, it's even more interesting when we finally do get to her backstory like what what exactly she's doing here because it's 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 going to be it's going to have a lot more depth than lockhart uh why dumbledore would hire her it doesn't have to do with like, yeah. oh, I couldn't find anybody or whatever malarkey it was for Lockhart. But So I think, so thinking about what you just said with divination and this, this idea of certainty, because I also like, I think the concept of certainty as like a comfort thing for people mm-hmm. to just kind of defer to, that's, that's probably why um, that sort of, talk or sorts of like things that are created under this guise of certainty do well well i thought yes so i was thinking about framing it as comfort in an uncomfortable world Mm. but it's but it is closer to certainty i think because some of the things that she predicts are very uncomfortable in themselves it's like you Mm. predict that she's predicting bad things it's very interesting it's different than some of like the 
proclaimed psychics in the muggle world here of like they tend to talk about good things things like that but i think it's a yeah you can I get a sort of a about sense psychics at all i was mm. thinking about things that are characterized as like predictive models for example sure. for how the world can be even though people who study subjects that uh, could be used to make any sort of predictive model or some sort of model that could be useful for planning for the future would probably temper it and not say like this is gonna like I can see the future like that's not the dynamic right. that it is even though sometimes yeah. it gets taken up that way because people if I'm not mistaken she doesn't actually say that Harry is gonna die right she just says like it's the gram or whatever like that death is near him or somehow involved with them because I, I thought I think that that's true I'll have to go back and look at it because that in in and of itself would be a great example of how like mm. even McGonagall has drawn the inference that she told she's told the class that Harry was going to die but she didn't it's a vague thing that she just sees the grim in the cup so obviously we get the benefit of this world being uh, very magical, and so the Grimm is involved in Harry's life, but it has nothing to do with him dying, so it's quite interesting. Mm-hmm. I have some information about the Grimm. Yeah. Okay. Just a couple of notes. There was kind of a lot, but I just grabbed a few things about sort of maybe where the Grimm character comes from. Interestingly enough, like uh, the Grim Reaper wasn't in this this set of details, but it's still interesting. Mm-hmm. So uh, one claim is, should the Grimm actually exist, that it may be an example of an animal ghost? Mm. Uh, the Grimm appears to be based on the Black Shuck of English folklore or the Cusith of Scottish mythology, black dogs which also signal death. The Grimm may also be based on the Barakast, a large black dog in English legend. Uh, the Grimm has a habit of haunting churchyards, which could be a reference to the Church Grimm of Scandinavia and English folklore a guardian spirit created by burying a black dog alive when a new church was founded. Okay. Fairly dark. <laughs> the Grimm could be based on the urban legend of the Cadejo Negro, a large black dog with growing red eyes, glowing red eyes, that is said mm-hmm. to kill travelers at night. This beast is said to be stopped by its opposite, the Cadejo Blanco, which protects travelers. Mm. Pretty interesting. Uh, well, I won't read the last one because it has to do with Sirius, but... It'll be useful to kind of know about the Grimm. And it's really interesting to have. I wonder about J.K. Rowling's choice to have uh, the Grimm involved here. It's really quite interesting. Like, because she does it when all is said and done, it's it's a rather, um, I don't know, mundane, like, reason why harry keeps seeing the grim <laughs> mm. it's quite interesting i think it's uh yeah it's just a it's just a dog i mean it's not just a dog but it's really interesting i, yeah. I think omens to me are really a complicated part of our lives yeah like we so... look for these things uh-huh. we look to project uh, from one thing to the next. Yeah, so Ron afterwards, and he's like, Harry, you haven't seen a black dog, have you? And Harry's like, oh, yeah, I have. And then Ron freaks out 
Like, I mean, he's kind of with the class and the class is kind of like, ooh, like everyone's gasping or whatever. It's all part of the theatrical presentation that's happening. Mm -hmm. But then the TED talk when Ron actually hears because, again, Ron is our like our uh, lens that goes deeper into the wizarding world. And so when he finds that out, he's like, oh, my uncle Billius, who he's named after his middle name is Billius, his uncle Billius died 24 hours after seeing the Grimm. And uh, Hermione just pass it, passes it off. And it's Post hoc like, ergo propter hoc. <laughs> yes, after like, it, therefore because of it. And uh, he and because Ron right. characterizes and he says that every wizard is like terrified of the Grimm, and Hermione's like exactly like you do this to yourself. Like this is it's not like uh, the 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 cause of it. Yeah, like, that's right. That's, that's right. kind that's of right. like where when she comes you to. have vague connections like something like an animal and death would be. Uh, what What is interesting about it is that there are a lot of things that precede a lot of bad things. Mm-hmm. So like by large numbers, you, you get these sort of mm-hmm. patterns that aren't anything but coincidence. Right. This is my take on it. I know a lot of people would would strongly disagree with sort of what is happening what is possible in these types of realms but i think it's uh my take on it is that i understand mathematics in a certain way to understand what how these things are possible without being true so it's Mm -hmm. really really interesting to think about causality here and what hermione is getting to is very uh reasonable where it's like well Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, that's why I brought up predictiveness because that to me is like, or the way that it's interpretive is interpreted is such a strong, like, if this happens, absolutely, then what follows is this. But right. that's not how you just have models, a chance. Yeah. That's not how models work. Yeah. And so that's kind of like, but it's, the, I think it's also not how these omens work. Mm. It's like you, you're being stalked by death. Now you might, you might escape. You could escape. Mm. You have a chance of dying. Well, all of us have a chance of dying. So some things will come before the bad things that happen to us. Yeah. By they, they ha- Some things have to happen before the bad things that happen to us. So we can think about those as omens or we can think about them as essentially unrelated. So take Neville as the example again. So mm-hmm. she says the very first thing to literally set him off. And so that to me, I think is the illustration of what Hermione is talking about is like if you're told like something bad is going to happen to you and you yourself are already like on edge and jittery, yeah. like then you're going to you're prone to make that happen. You are more likely to make that happen mm-hmm. because you're it's mm-hmm. in the back of your mind. It's it's part of like unconscious like like he's probably thinking to himself after she said that to him like oh if you break it, break don't this. break it don't break it don't break it he breaks it oh yep, yep. and that's it's yeah it's all part of it so that's a good scene mm-hmm. then we have mcg which mm-hmm. isn't too much and then we yeah. go to hagrid's yeah hagrid what do you think about this you're just annoyed oh, wait, at wait, malfoy wait, wait. are we going to class first yeah, yeah okay do you have something else no, no, no. I, oh, okay. I thought for some reason I thought you were talking about in his hut. But oh, the no. end. Okay. Um, yeah. No. Um, okay. Malfoy is the embodiment of, I see this dynamic a lot online. 
I play a video game or actually lots of video games and live stream and do stuff. And I've seen people, I hang out with other people who do the same. We're like in our thirties. We're not kids, whatever. And people come in and they're like, oh, why don't you grow up and blah, blah, blah. Like that is Malfoy to me. It's just like, let people just like be silly. And Hagrid is so sweet and whimsical and just like pure. He's just enjoying something that he loves so deeply. And Malfoy is just dismissing it and making intentionally trying to make him feel bad. And I just, yeah, I get it. The monster book of monsters kind of annoying that you didn't tell anyone like, oh, stroke the back of it. But he just that's where it starts. And he just keeps going on and on about it. I listened to you and it was great. But in the background to you, Winston is laying on the couch up watching you and he's just falling asleep. As soon as you looked at him, he woke up, woke up. His eyes were just it was amazing. Baby beast. Anyway, yes. Yeah, Hagrid, I mean, it's it's also from a te- from our teacher perspective, I get an interesting vibe as well mm. because without knowing what Grubby Plank would have done, the idea of like starting them off fast and doing like getting something exciting, doing you using motivation, doing a hook, like having it be hippogriffs instead of flobberworms and things like this. It's actually quite appropriate when it comes to teaching people Mm. like you you can leap forward you can motivate the whole care of magical creatures idea Mm -hmm. by showing like what types of creatures you can care for Mm. and some are more exciting than others and you but you can get the philosophy of the of caring for magical creatures learning it but probably easier by introducing these really interesting Mm-hmm. and dangerous that there is a risk reward to it uh, from the teaching perspective. I love it. I mean, I, I think it's great that he, it's like, to me, one of, I mean, it reminds me a little bit of like, it's the opposite of Umbridge. It's kind of like Snape. Like a lot of the teachers are actually quite good because day one, they do mm-hmm. a fundamental thing related to and Lupin will do the same right no one's like let's read the syllabus (laughs) or that's right (laughs) right so there's usually like the rules of this Snape's like potion making you might die good luck yeah let's make one yeah it's uh it's really quite interesting I think it's there's something about the the way magic works in this world to that like is actually quite conducive to good teaching (laughs) (laughs) because like it is so practically it is so um many of them can execute simple spells on day one as opposed to needing like a lot of study in order to execute a whole bunch of spells all at once. It's there is this buildup of like, uh, uh, what is the one that's the famous one? Wingardium Leviosa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where it's like just make this thing float, and that they're able to start with a with a feather, but they still get to see like the act of making something float. It just is really conducive. But I think Hagrid's actually got one of the harder ones, where it's just like caring for creatures 
Like you have sort of a trade-off. I mean, he didn't come in hot with an acromantula. That would have been real, <laughs> really something. Okay, but he says like in his like drunken uh, upsetness that yeah. like, oh, maybe I should have started with a flopper worm. And right. from my perspective, that doesn't matter. Draco is still going to be... A hundred percent. The worst. Something would have happened. Because Draco is literally, he is a bigot. He hates Hagrid. He does not like him. And yes. he's out to get him. And he cannot believe that someone as, uh, you know, superior as him has to be taught by the groundskeeper. Like, he... he yeah. Like, and so it... Like, from that perspective, it doesn't matter. You are always going to have Malfoy. Like, the... He, the the likelihood that Malfoy would have injured himself with the flabberworm is very low, but at this at what he cost? Would have done is something like, kind of like he my, would have done something else. Yeah, though, right? yeah, and that like from a like perspective as a teacher and being like, yeah. If like, Hagrid starts with a flabberworm, Draco would be like, "Hey, Dad, tell the governors that we started with like first year malarkey, like yeah. stuff that I knew when I was a child." So there was never gonna be. I agree completely. It's it's coming in from bad faith, like with yeah. bad faith. He and he is doing that. He is on the search for a reason to leverage his power against Hagrid because yeah. he's a bigot and because. I, if you yeah. haven't noticed, I have no remorse for Draco. He deserved every bit of his. Of course, injury. my God, it was awesome. <laughs> it was swift justice, and I loved it. Uh, I guess it's Draco kind of reversed because it was like he gets hurt and now he's going to leverage it against Sirius. Uh, against Sirius. Against Hagrid. Yeah. There's Hagrid. Oh, yeah, little Hagrid. Oh, my gosh. I felt so bad. He... So the three of them are like concerned, obviously, because they were so excited. It's, they were so excited at the feast to find out that Hagrid was their teacher. And they're like, oh, this is such a big deal for him. Like he's, you know. He was wrongly accused of things and finally his name was cleared and now he's a teacher. He's a professor at Hogwarts now. Finally, first day, like, goes terrible. And so they're like, let's go check on him. I'm kind of surprised that Draco isn't like, how are we being taught by an ex-con? Because <laughs> he's been an Azkaban. Mm. Mm. Draco's the worst. But they go in and Hagrid is just drunk. And I feel so bad because Hermione is like, Hermione has to be put, well, she doesn't have to, but she takes on this role of like, you know, motherly cleanup, which made me a little sad. But, um, and then like once he dunks his head in the water and then is like, wait a second. <laughs> It'll look quite a literally like, sobering wait moment. Wait a second. Yeah. And I, the whole this whole time I'm just like, all you people with Harry, well, because so that was actually going back to the divination classroom when Trelawney is like, oh, you have an enemy or whatever. And Hermione's just like, obviously. Nah. <laughs> like, what? come on, this is year three. We know that Voldemort, yeah. <laughs> the Dark Lord is trying to murder Harry Potter. But I am the chosen one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it, this this was a doozy of a first day. I forgot. I forgot about it. It was, first yeah, day. it was. And we didn't mention. I'll just mention in passing uh, the couple of moments where Hermione's schedule comes up, and there's something confusing going she on. She already talked to McGonagall. She, she three fixed classes, the schedule uh, with McGonagall. Schedule at the same time. Yep. Oh my gosh, yep. poor Hermione. Yeah, we'll 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 see. It's gonna be a good story. It's going to be a good book. I wonder if we interviewed adult Minister Granger, what she would say about her third year at Hogwarts. Absolutely not. 
<laughs> She'd be like, no comment. No comment. <laughs> uh, well, that's all I have. Yeah, me too. Cool, cool. cool. Alrighty. All right. Till next time. One's, One's ready. ready. Thank you.